This episode is sponsored by yet another great company that I use and endorse, and that is Bubs Naturals. Now, they are offering you guys a discount on your first purchase with them, and I will get to that in a moment, but I really want to tell you the history of Bubs. Bubs was a call sign of Glenn Doherty, one of the courageous Navy SEALs that died in Benghazi, and his best friend, Sean Lake, co-founded Bubs Naturals not only to bring wellness solutions to the community, but to take 10% of the profits and donate to charities in Glenn's name. So I first came across their collagen through Jeff Nichols and had no preconceived notions or biases, but I started to witness in myself, my nails grow faster, my hair get thicker and longer, my skin, I've got very dry skin and it usually cracks in the winter, that has not happened this year. My joints, the aching, the kind of inflammation has definitely subsided. And then what really blew me away was actually my gut health. I saw that improve. And when you think about the gut is 80% of your immune system, that is incredibly pertinent. They have the apple cider vinegar gummies. I also take those. And then the MCT oil in a powder form has allowed me to put creamer back in my coffee after swearing off dairy for years. But when I have this creamer, it's adding energy, it's adding mental focus, so yet it's another supplement. Now, as far as efficacy, they're the only collagen that is 100% NSF for sports certified and Whole30 approved. So as I mentioned, the discount code. They are offering you 20% off a one-time purchase by using the code SHIELD at bubsnaturals.com. This episode is sponsored by 5.11, a company that I've used for well over a decade and continue to use to this day. And 5.11 is offering you guys, the audience of the Behind the Shield podcast, a discount on every purchase you make with them. Before we get to that code, I want to highlight a couple of products that, again, I personally use today. One of the most impressive products they just released is their Rush Backpack 2.0. Now, for many of you, whether you're going to the fire station, the police station, whether you're traveling with your family, whether you're taking training courses, we have to fly, we have to drive, we have to take trains. And I have to say, I own multiple backpacks, many of uh, 5.11's different ones, but as far as a day pack, this one was the most impressive. There are so many different compartments. The way it sits on your back is incredibly comfortable. If you are a concealed carry person, there's also a spot for a weapon. So they've thought of multiple, multiple things that a man or woman would have to do on a daily basis. That is in addition to all of the products that I talk about a lot. Their uniforms fit for men or fit for women in the first responder professions. The footwear that they offer, whether it's the Norris sneaker or the Atlas system that is designed for foot health and therefore knees and back and hips and shoulders and neck. As a civilian, I live in a lot of their clothes as well. Their jeans stretch. You can actually squat down in them. We live in Florida here, so I wear a lot of their shorts, which again, very, very lightweight material. You can get it wet and it will dry almost immediately. And then moving to the fitness and tactical space, I used to have just a regular weight vest. Recently, I switched to a 511 vest and actually bought ballistic plates as well. My thinking was simply, if I'm going to have a vest, why not I have one that protects me as well? And that TAC vest is trusted by law enforcement all around the country. So I mentioned they were going to offer you a discount code. So if you go to 511tactical.com and enter the code SHIELD15, S-H-I-E-L-D-1-5, You'll get 15% off not just that one purchase, but every time you visit their store. And if you want to learn more about 5.11, their mission, their products, then listen to episode 338 of the Behind the Shield podcast with the CEO and founder, Francisco Morales. 
Welcome to episode 571 of Behind the Shield podcast. As always, my name is James Gearing, and this week it is my absolute honor to welcome on the show Dr. Sean Rocket. Now, Sean is not only an orthopedic surgeon, but he took a parallel journey within the CrossFit space, ultimately becoming the official orthopedic surgeon for the CrossFit Games. So we discuss a host of topics from the CrossFit medical team, the adaptive athlete, training the tactical athlete, overcoming injuries, rehab, prehab, and so much more. Before we get to this incredible conversation, as I say every week, please just take a moment, go to whichever app you listen to this on, subscribe to the show, leave feedback, and leave a rating. Every five-star rating truly does elevate this podcast, making it easier for others to find. And this is a free library for you, planet Earth. So all I ask in return is that you help share these incredible men and women's stories so I can get them to every single person who needs to hear them. So with that being said, I introduce to you Dr. Sean Rocket. Enjoy. Dr. Rocket, I want to start by saying thank you so much for taking the time to come on the Behind the Shield podcast today. I'm, I'm my pleasure. I'm, I'm happy to do it. Happy to, you know, get get into some stuff and help try to help some people out there. Brilliant. Now I know you just returned from the state I live in now. So tell me uh, how Waterpalooza was for you. Oh, it was great. It was actually my first time. You know, I've done the games for probably ten years, eleven years, but this is my first time at Waterpalooza. And, they put on a great show. It was really uh, entertaining, um, safe, and, uh, you know, from a medical point of view. And uh, it, I enjoyed it, except for the tornado warning. <laughs> yeah, I know we had a near-miss. One of my friends actually works in Fort Myers, and he said the, the tornado went right down the street his fire station was on. Oh, boy. Wow. But apparently no injuries. I mean, no, no injuries, but no, no fatalities. So that's amazing. Oh, There's yeah. a, lot, a lot of traders yeah. in that area, and I guess no one was killed, which is incredible. Oh, good. Yeah, we were, they were good. It was, you know, um, at the games, we have a meteorologist on staff and uh, they pulled people off the fairgrounds one year and, and a structure tipped over. And, uh, you know, so I think they saved lives. And so I think, again, this wasn't that bad this time, but, you know, we, we've seen what can happen with, with bad weather. And, uh, you know, you got to be, pro, you know, pro, proactive and preventing it. Absolutely. Well, Ocala, where I live, they we're supposedly, I think it's self-named because I don't think it's verified, but we're supposed to be the horse capital of the world. I think Kentucky and you know, Dubai and some <laughs> okay. other places would question that, but also the lightning capital of the world. So we do oh, really? in the summer get a lot, not more so in the clouds, but um, but yeah, so I don't know if I'd want to be hanging on the, you know, a metal pull-up rack during yeah. a lightning storm in my yeah. head. Yeah. <laughs> you know, you know, the, the, the two iron joke about what happens if you have lightning on a golf course? No. You take out a two iron and you walk right down the middle of the fairway because even God can't hit a two iron. <laughs> <laughs> That's the first time but hearing I'm, that one. <laughs> but I'm good. All right. Well, then, so you were in Miami. So I would love to, to first uh, begin like on the chronological journey. So tell me where you were born and then tell me a little bit about your family dynamic, what your parents did and how many siblings. Sure, sure. Um, born in Boston, um, both both my parents are doctors. Um, 
My mom's a general surgeon, and my dad is a, was a neuro, is a neurosurgeon. Just lost my mom this year, um, and she's an amazing woman, and I think very very influential in, in sort of my choices in life. Um, have three brothers, older brothers. So I was the youngest boy, and then a little sister. So it was a big big Brady bunch of a. Uh, sort of mayhem and chaos and avoiding getting beaten up a lot. And um, so it was, it was, uh, it was fun. It was fun. You know, a lot of just crazy hectic things, but my parents were, were very focused on keeping us uh, together as a unit. And every, you know, vacation we took was together as a unit. And uh, they just had this, I think just this, my mom was an only child, so she didn't have any siblings. And um, so I think she, um, she really enjoyed having a big family. Um, obviously, it was tough on her in, in residency. She was the, she was the first um, female, uh, female surgical resident in Boston City Hospital back in the 50s. And she had uh, a couple of kids during residency. And, and she, you know, she was great. She, she just... She didn't want to be treated differently. She just wanted to be one of the one of the the gang, and she just sort of never wanted special treatment. And uh, you know that that was sort of you know growing up hearing you know hearing her stories and uh, hearing dad's stories were uh, were probably very influential in what I was choosing. Well, firstly, I'm sorry to hear about your mother. No, thanks. Thank so, with having both parents in the medical community, I mean, obviously this whole point of this podcast is to to bring experts in physical health and mental health and, you know, people with powerful stories that we can all grow from. What did you see as far as the the pros and cons for the health of the individual in the medical community in your parents' generation? You know, so, you know, number one, just hearing the stories at the dinner table that they would bring of, um, of just, you know, just amazing stories. It was tough as a child to, to not say, wow, that's cool. I, I think I'd like to do that someday. You know, my, <clears throat> my dad would had a uh, 16-year-old boy who one day woke up blind, 16, all of a sudden blind, and he had a cyst that was pushing on his optic nerves. And my dad went in and took the cyst out, and the kid could see after surgery, like, how do you how do you not get goosebumps with you know stories like that at the dinner table? Um, mom was always uh, just uh, you know she'd pull over. This was back before cell phones. You know she'd pull over on the side of the road and if somebody was down and she's she her she has three saves CPR saves. She had three PR saves. Um, she was always pulling over like and I know you know firefighters paramedics. Nowadays, we're like, you know, thanks for stopping and we're good. But like, you know, this is back before stuff. And, uh, you know, so she was always, we always hear a story. My brother rode in the uh, ambulance because uh, she was in the back with the guys. And it was, uh, you know, stuff like that. Just hearing, hearing stuff like, you know, dad, brain tumors and things like that. So, um, but you talk about, you know, the wellness of, of people and just, you know, from a from a medical point of view, just trying to make a difference, trying to make people you know healthy and and teach them about 
and I've sort of branched out and gone into more of a sort of a fitness realm of, uh, you know, having them be safe, be fit, eat the right things, sleep well, uh, sort of an overall picture. Whereas those, you know, they were very sort of specialized and, and, and they're what they did. Well, you touched on sleep, which is a big, big, big topic that I hear over and over again because my, you know, audience and the profession that I was in is chronically sleep depraved, deprived. Um, with neurosurgery, it reminds me of one of the, the most amazing books I've ever read is called that When Breath Becomes Air. And it was written by a neurosurgeon who, during the writing of his book, discovered that he had brain cancer, had a brain tumor, which ultimately wow. killed him. Um, wow. and when you, when you read through the book, and you start hearing about the residency and all the, the hours and hours and hours that he was awake. At the end of this journey now, I can't help but look back and go, I wonder if seat deprivation was a contributing factor to the very illness that killed him. So with the whole residency, whether it's your parents' generation or now, I mean, I hear, you know, the roots of some of these crazy residencies come from, you know, cocaine addict surgeons from back in the day. So so uh, what's Yeah, so talk to me about the you know that that impact, whether you know is is that something that we need our physicians to be doing or is that something that we could do better in the medical community as well? <clears throat> Well, yeah, so James Halstead was the first uh, person to invent residency, and it turned out he was a cocaine addict. And so he, you know, said, let's have residents, you know, rotate and be up 36 hours of covering the emergency room, covering the, the wards, covering. And so, you know, that was just accepted. That was just the way it was. And um, and then back in the eight, uh, 90s, there was, or yeah, the 90s, uh, there was the... Um, law that came into play that uh, limited resident work hours which you know i believe in i think it's you know it's one of those i feel like i'm an old guy and i feel like well i did it and i think that's what everybody like i did it you need to do it or you should do it like that's the mentality that has been perfused through residency my whole career like i did it you should do it. but i think we've figured out that you know you can't function well and um and you can't take care of patients well. If you're stressed, if the thing you're thinking about is, should I go back to bed or should I go take care of that person? Um, that's not the right thing. And, uh, you know, do I need to wake up, look at the x-ray, go down to the emergency room or, you know, go back to bed? Like, that's not good for the community, for for the, for the you as a resident. You know, you, you're struggling. You, you feel like you need sleep, but, you you know, sometimes you can't, you know, get up, you can't, you know, you're exhausted. And, uh, and that was, you know, one week, my wife counted, I was in there from Friday morning to Monday afternoon. And we had a resident who was out on vacation. So I was every other night that week. So I was in the hospital, not awake, but in the hospital, 144 hours out of 168. So um, not a lot of, and again, I wasn't awake the whole time, thank God, because <laughs> that would be probably a psychological experiment but um but you know not having certainly not having any downtime or break or being able to go get my dry cleaning or postage stamps or you know stuff that we 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 relished as a resident if you had some extra time you'd go get your dry cleaning done and get go get an oil change like you know it was just it was tough but i think nowadays we've we've figured it out and uh and it's much i would say much more amenable to living 
<laughs> yeah. Well, we're through this this uh, you know last couple of years. Obviously, we've seen some of that be disregarded. And a lot of physicians and nurses and first responders working a lot more hours than they should be. And I just learned one of my previous departments, uh, Anaheim. Usually, very, very well staffed, well trained, well run department. They, through attrition, through I'm sure again budgetary restrictions, and now some of these COVID regulations, they they've been doing 120 hour shifts, five days straight, go home for a day, and then more often than not, several days again, which terrifies wow. me. You know, you're behind the wheel of an yeah. emergency vehicle, you're running a pediatric code, you know, you're entering a burning wow. building or climbing an aerial. So yeah, I mean, I I. I'm worried about the ripple effect of this last 20 plus months on everyone that held the front loan while everyone else was at home. Yeah, there's you know certainly taking care of yourself is going to be is is it really important? Yeah, this those hours are unsustainable and the stress and the severity of illness that people are seeing in the you know in the ICUs. Um, you know my uh, my cousin's an ICU nurse and he's. You know, I can just see it in his eyes sometimes when he posts on Facebook. You can just see this sort of sort of blank blank stare, you know. Um, but yeah, certainly, you know. And and I tell people all the time, like we need to, you need to take care of yourself to be able to take care of somebody else. And that goes for firefighters, police officers, you know, nurses, physician assistants, everybody, you know, military, anybody. And yeah, having anxiety control and being able to sleep and being able, and that's a lot of people have trouble being able to just shut it off and uh and get you know that that quiet ringing and busyness that was going on you know into the background and some people have a lot of trouble with that i have trouble with it i have trouble you know getting to sleep um but um i've been working on it and and uh you know doing breathing and uh, breathing exercises and you know, sometimes if it's a stressful day, but uh, an exercise and ex- I can't emphasize enough the, the benefits of exercise for, for me. Yeah, I think a lot of people struggle. I mean, I found that um, anything from some some supplements, uh, there's a Navy SEAL, um, Dr. Kurt Parsley, who has a sleep supplement and it's not snowing you with melatonin and actually initiates a sleep cascade. That works really well. I found Headspace before we go to bed, the, the sleep meditation yeah. works really well. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, our profession has to really work hard because we are in that sympathetic state. There's a lot of deregulation that needs to happen to get into that deep sleep. Yeah, yeah. sympathetic tone. Yeah, being able to control your sympathetic tone, shut, turn it down, get into parasympathetic mode is uh, so you could eat or you could, <laughs> or you could do other stuff and hopefully not eating too much absolutely well you mentioned exercise just before we kind of walk through your medical journey um when you were in the school age were you a young athlete yourself yeah i uh i enjoyed sports I, and i you know i probably had you know i don't know if people would i was an over hyperactive child i would i would constantly be moving uh found out i was you know one, one of the faster kids on the block and then went to school and I was one of the faster kids in school. And, and so that was my strength. I would say my speed was my strength. And you know, I was able to, I played football, basketball, uh, baseball, and then at Harvard uh, was able to play football and baseball there. Um, so, but 
everything. I, I would try any sport, love every sport. It was, it really, it was part of my personality. I think um, my dad was a neurosurgeon, team physician for Harvard and for BC. So every weekend we were going to a football game, and I grew up seeing him on the sidelines, and you know, thinking one day that'd be kind of cool, and um, and you know, so that was that was where I. I started and thought about it and, you know, you have your childhood dreams and fantasies and then, you know, adulthood comes in and reality sets in and you you start to say, you know, could I do this? Is that a a possibility? And I think that was the, you know, the easy part for me was that I had both parents were doctors and I didn't know anything else. And I think that's very common that people see, you know, um, you know, what their parents do and, and that it's, you know, it's easy, they, they see it and it's, they're comfortable with it. It's, it's sort of, if you're not, if you didn't grow up with both parents as doctors, you know, it's the unknown. You don't know what residency is. You don't know what internship is. You don't know what's out there. How can you do it? Is it possible? You hear about these crazy work weeks, <laughs> you know, stuff like that. Well, with the, the journey, um, one thing I hear a lot of people that have, you know, are physicians that have come on here was the absence of education on nutrition, on exercise, on, on sleep in the classical medical school training. Yeah, what was no, your experience? Absolutely. Yeah, no, it was a one week uh, pamphlet that we looked over for a week. And uh, yeah, I got, I, you know, I got, I got into it through CrossFit New England. And my wife was like, you know, we, we were early on at CrossFit New England and they were talking about protein and cholesterol and eggs. And I'm like, well, wait a minute. I was, I always learned that eggs were, you know, high cholesterol things. And so I had, to, I went back and reread, I was rereading my old syllabus and, you know, it's, uh, so my wife was actually was able to prove it to me. She's, she started treating her patients with these diet, this diet of, no sugar, low, you know, meats, vegetables, nuts, seeds, low sugar, no added, you know, no added sugar. Um, and she had the labs. So she was, she was not experimenting on people, but when they came in for their physical, um, she was a family med doc. She would draw the, the labs that she usually draws and showed me that someone with six eggs and a high cholesterol and exercise and diet, their cholesterol came down. And I was like, what? are you talking about? This is madness. And, uh, and so, you know, just showing me all these labs and all these stories of people losing weight and blood pressure and diabetic meds and rheumatoid meds all going away. And yeah, so she became a CrossFit coach as a result. She, she stopped doing medical stuff and became a CrossFit coach. Oh, she walked away from the medical profession as, as far as actually being a physician. She did. Wow. She did. That's a she, huge um, statement. She, she said, I, I can do more for people. She felt like she could do more for people because um, she's with them five hours a week as opposed to 15 minutes every three to six months. And she was kind of getting, she kind of got you know, on the downside of things. That's not enough time for anything to change a lifestyle or a habit. And she was getting frustrated. She's, you know, people kept coming back and she's she knew the answer you know we all know the and i don't know if we all know but we know the answer of what you know you could do with your health if you try and she was getting very frustrated having people come back with the same story 
did you do this yet? No. Did you do this yet? No. Have you tried this? Cut this out. Just one thing. Make one change. Make one delta. And people just came back saying, you know, how am I doing? And she was, she would be honest with it. She'd tell them, you know, she goes, you can do better. And then so she just got, she did it for, I think, 12 years. And, and we opened it up, one in our garage, CrossFit launch pad. We couldn't do CrossFit Rocket. They already had CrossFit Rocket. <laughs> <laughs> Brilliant. Well, I want to go through your kind of, you know, your your CrossFit journey yeah, as jumping. well. I'm jumping. No, 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 <laughs> jump away. I love I love the tangents. But um, with that, so I just finished watching the show Dope Sick, you know, and it's about the um, Oxycontin epidemic. Amazing. Yeah. Um, but it does give you a very good perspective on, you know, the the pressure that the physicians were on. I'm sure there were some that were more than happy to receive, you know, all these these drug reps, and there were some that being duped, and you know. Um, the, you know, the labels yeah. give them a false sense of security and now they're kind of uh, demonized in their own community. Now you add in the false information in med school, it really does set a lot of our physicians up for failure when it comes to not only understanding their own wellness, and that's a huge thing. You see such an obesity epidemic amongst doctors and nurses too, but also then how they're going to you know, um, uh, mentor the patients that come in. So if yeah. you could be king for a day and reinvent med school, what yeah. what things would you take out and what things would you add? Um, you know, just one thought before that was just as a doctor, you always should question. You our our role should be question what we are told, question what something said. That's science. You want to always have something proven to you. So stuff like that with oxycontin. I remember I was in residency and this came out and we we're like, oh, this is great. And then I would talk to the patients and like say, well, you know, how do you feel? They go, they were like, that made me feel horrible. And that, you know, was the worst thing. I, I, yeah, no way do I want that. And that was the story that I was getting. But anyway, you're talking about um, uh, for med school. Um, yeah, I mean, I think if you if you can maybe flip it completely and talk about, you know, have the, the goals, the parameters, the wellness of people and, and a really big priority with that is diet, exercise, sleep, wellness, mental health. You know, I think that would cover 80% of what a primary care physician would do. But we sort of look at the minutiae, we look at the pathophysiology of what that, uh, you know, chromosome is doing and what the, uh, you know, what the biliary duct happens with the absorption. And, and we get down into this microscopic minutiae for multiple choice questions. And, um, and we sometimes lose sight of the goal. And what's the goal? The goal is to, you know, not know that multiple choice question and, you know, but you do need to have some knowledge. But I think if we could make the bigger picture, and I haven't been to med school in a while, so I don't know if they, they have done it, but I've talked to some of the residents coming out, and I think it is starting to seep in uh, to the picture a little bit um, that, you know, what is the goal of medicine and, you know, what are we doing? And we can treat sickness, but we also need to treat wellness, and we need to do that better. Absolutely. I mean, there's some incredible drugs as a paramedic, you know, Narcan, D50, 
Um, you know, some of the cardiac meds that we use in an emergency setting are phenomenal. I mean, Narcan truly is a miracle drug when you have an opioid overdose. And, you know, this, the drugs that you use, I mean, when, you know, anesthesia is definitely a necessary, uh, you know, tool when it comes to re, you know, reconstructing someone's knee. But these chronic disease meds, I agree with you completely. I went to, to, um, ex-phys, you know, school in UF and then obviously paramedic school. Mm-hmm. And we, we chop up the human body into all these chapters, all these systems, and never really think that they all interact, you know, and are all affected by what we eat, how we move, our gut bacteria, and all these other things that just don't ever really get addressed. Obviously, not as important in emergency medicine specifically, but certainly in, you know, in the, like you said, the family physician where you're looking at you know, longevity, you're looking at chronic disease only. Yeah. Yeah. So why, when you had a neuro um, uh, father and a, a GP mother, what sent you through the sports medicine route and into orthopedics? Um, so I, during neurosurgery, I, I, you know, and I don't know if you can tell by my personality, I'm sort of, I'm, I'm not, uh, I'm sort of an easy-go-lucky, sort of lighthearted. Uh, and I found that neurosurgery was... Uh, very sad sometimes, uh, very stressful, um, and, you know, uh, just, you know, dealing with head injuries. And, uh, you know, unfortunately, I, I just felt like I, I could not do this every day. I just could not, you know, be that, uh, get into that severity of stuff, um, just the, the weight of it all. Um, and, I, again, my mom, Knowing me, she's like, Sean, you'd love orthopedics. She goes, the sports medicine part, I can tell, you know, you would have a, you'd be good at it. And the surgeries are probably not more than two hours long, max. <laughs> and, uh, and then she goes, but, you know, I, I, you know, she literally came out and said that. She said, I, I think, you know, you would be good at it. And, uh, and so that was in the back of my head. And again, growing, yeah, and that wasn't early. That was sort of in college and stuff like that. And uh, and then I tried to prove it to myself. No, you know, I, I want to see what business is like, and I want to see what lawyers like, and I want to see what accounting's like, and try it. And um, <clears throat> you know, it just came down to uh, medicine. And you know, thinking, growing up, um, you know, I had the nuns. I grew up with the nuns, sort of in a very um, uh, strict religious thing and uh and but a lot of it you know they would always reflect they're like what are you going to do you know in your life that's going to make a difference and when you look back on it all you know would you be happy with what you've done and uh and so that was sort of a little different than business and and stuff like that and i sort of felt that and yeah so that was that was my decision to go medicine number one and then orthopedics i loved you know the anatomy i loved surgery too i i really enjoyed surgery but then i loved you know finally being able to see you know how do you move your hand like what does that entail uh how does the knee work how does the shoulder work you know i had some injuries um i usually you know and one issue is you know, orthopods, usually guys that get hurt a lot and they go to the doctors and they identify with this doctor who's helping them get back to sports. Um, so that was one identification that I had. So when did you get into the distance events? 
uh, when you say distance, like triathlon. Yes. Oh, that was only sprints. Oh, is that? Okay. <laughs> uh, okay. I, I, got, I, am, I got that wrong. I am, I am not a swimmer. I am not a swimmer. And that was the biggest thing. That, that's what held me back was the swimming. I would, uh, I would turn back and do crawl or backstroke like two thirds of the way in and the lifeguards would come over in their kayaks and they're like, are you okay? Like, <laughs> I grew up with contacts. So I, so I hate putting my face in the water and I never got good at, you know, reciprocal breathing. And, you know, so I, I certainly, that's one thing in life I could probably get better at is swimming long distance. Um, but yeah, no, those were only sprints. Ah, okay, gotcha. So then, walk me through your very interesting journey into CrossFit. I'd love to hear, you know, your first wad story if you have one, um, because I know you ended up at a pretty uh, well-known uh, box in the end. Yeah, yeah, it was my wife. Uh, my wife gave uh, me a gift certificate for uh, for my birthday, and then we went to a um, Thanksgiving workout that Ben Bergeron was running. And Rhonda was training with Heather Bergeron and Heather was in a, a just a little, you know, a, a, a workout a sports place, you know, not, not knowing. And uh, we did a circuit uh, training and I saw one of my friends from high school and I, you know, it was a great, you know, great to see him. And we worked out together and just that amount of work that we did, it was, uh, I, I remember it was a, uh, plate a weighted plate uh push presses with weighted you know with the uh the plates and i, I think i chose 45 pounds which was a mistake <laughs> <laughs> and, and then we did uh it was in a gym and we were doing box jumps on the uh on the rafters of the or on the uh the seats of the gym and the things were bouncing up and down and uh, uh then we did like sled pulls outside and i was like this you know it was just something new and different and uh Great feeling afterwards, great workout. And then, uh, you know, that was my first workout. And I was sore for days and days afterwards. But it was, it was like a workout high that, like, you, have, you don't usually get. And before that, I was sitting on a bike with two dumbbells, 25-pound dumbbells on a bike doing biceps curls. And I, it, it, it helped me. It just sort of clicked for me right there. And and Ben said, you know, we want to uh, start a gym. And so he, he looked for some startup money. And he said, we'll make you lifetime members if you give it. And this was to a bunch of people. Uh, you know, he just was looked for, you know, some money from a bunch of people and put out like 15 lifetime memberships after that as a result of it. And, uh, and we didn't want that to fail because we wanted a lifetime membership at a gym. So we, those 15 people, you know, went out and, talk to all their friends and so that's how it started we just sort of recruited our friends into this gym and it became you know pretty good <laughs> yeah and he ended up being one of the top coaches in the country or in the world actually when it comes to crossfit yeah yeah, yeah it, was a, it was it was it was you know and he's he's been so great and so helpful for us and uh and you know and Rhonda still goes Rhonda coaches here but she still goes to crossfit new england because she says every every person de deserves to have their own coach, um, you know. So she she still does that, and I I still go work out there too and uh, enjoy enjoy the people and what he's done. Beautiful. Well, then walk me through your journey, whether it was becoming a coach yourself, whether it was uh, you know ultimately becoming the MD at the games. 
No, it was uh, just a friend of mine dislocated his shoulder who was at the regionals and uh, no one was there to put it back in. And I emailed uh, the head of the games and said, you know, would you like to have a sports medicine doctor on the sidelines at these things? Because I do, I do uh, football games uh, where I'm the sports medicine doctor at football games. And if something dislocates, it's nice to have a guy there who could put it back in and avoid, uh, you know, pain and, and, you know, just be helpful for anything that needs orthopedic care. Um, it's usually, you know, soft tissue stuff, but it sometimes can be dislocations. And as, as we saw, uh, and, and she has, she has posted this, so I'm not breaking any HIPAA violations, but, uh, you know, with Brooke Wells's elbow dislocation, where I was able to put it back in, uh, you know, right, right at the facility. Um, we have an x-ray machine there too. Um, and that was, I started doing that in 2011. Um, and I just, it's one of my favorite weeks to go there and, and do that and take care of the professional athletes and, uh, and, and the masters. I love the master athletes. They, they're so competitive and so, uh, got so much energy and, you know, just great attitude, you know, great, <clears throat> excuse me, great attitudes. And, uh, but, but it's fun. It's one of my favorite weeks all year. Uh, to do that one um group that you know i've seen just just explode the last few years i got into crossfit i think around the same time as you that 06 07 um so got again an interesting perspective of you know early days just taking wads off the main side to the boxes to the competitive phase and i think then the recovery of that when coaches really started understanding you know how to coach properly um, yeah, but the the adaptive community we had um, Charlotte Merle Smith as one of the the uh, top wheel wad athletes in in our gym for a while. Um, it's amazing seeing yeah you know, something good come out really ultimately from a lot of the combat that we had the last twenty years and and really enable a lot of these men and women whether they were hurt that way whether it was you know congenital whatever it was just excel and completely reprogram people's you know definition of handicapped or whatever the old phrases were so what are some of the orthopedic challenges what are some of the kind of uh, perspectives you've seen in that community through your lens yeah so so it is it is new to me i'm i'm not a uh you know i'm not a uh i don't deal with amputations um uh or you know physical medicine and rehab rehab medicine i would say that's more sort of in the, in their uh, uh specialty but um uh just you know, number one, as a fan, seeing what these people can do, it, you know, it's it seems like it's, I don't, it, it seems like it just uh, everybody just gives them so much support and there's so much energy when they do things on the floor and you know it it should be you know really every day you know they're doing some amazing things every day but when you see it on the floor and you see have you know weights being lifted and sometimes heavy weights being lifted and just what people are able to, it's just, it's amazing. And so number one as a fan, but then I need to step back and as a doctor say, you know, um, same thing with sports medicine, you know, we got to be safe. We got to be sure that we don't want anything bad happening. Um, and we, you know, sometimes you gotta, you know, tell people just any, like any athlete, you gotta tell them, you know, if you have something that's uh, nagging or an injury, you know, it's, you got to be careful. With it. So, you know, one of, part of me is a cheerleader, like, oh my God, that's amazing. And then the, as a doctor, we have to sometimes sort of say, you know, we're going to be safe and we're going to be careful. 
And, uh, and so in the games, you know, the games are, are, uh, you know, just sort of just coming into this. And at Wadapalooza, we saw in Wadapalooza had, had had adaptive athletes, uh, you know, before the games and, uh, and, you know, they did a, they did a great job. And I was able to take care of some of the, some of the uh, adaptive athletes and, you know, just, again, as you see people as a cheerleader, you're just like, wow, that's amazing what they're doing. And, and the attitude, the attitude where maybe 20 years ago, people would not, people would definitely not say, I, I want to, you know, I don't think you should lift 95 pounds over your head or, you know, 85 pounds over your head with one arm. Like, you know, just, it's, it's, it's really amazing to see. And I'm sure, and I had, you know, the confidence that it gives people in life and what they now think that they can do. And they don't need, need to be told what you should or shouldn't do. They're doing it. And it's, uh, it's amazing. Well, kind of touching in that, uh, that concept of performance versus wellness, a topic has come up a few times and I've heard you talk about it in a previous podcast as well is the young athlete. So, yeah. I've had a lot of coaches on here, a lot of you know high level athletic performers, and a reoccurring theme for longevity appears to be the multi sport athlete. What I see, and it's very weird looking it through British eyes because back home this really doesn't exist, um, but here I see like a very high level of performance, not wellness, but performance at the school slash college age. But then, ironically. When you look nationally, there's a huge drop off. And I think partly maybe because of the, the overtraining and injuries where there isn't yeah. a carryover where a lot of people play sports back home. I wouldn't say we have the highest level in our schools, you know, even in, in football, soccer. But mm -hmm. what you'll see is 30, 40, 50 year olds still playing local cricket leagues, football leagues, you know, so continuing that, that enjoyment of the game. What are you right. seeing on, on the young athlete, especially the one that's doing, you know, like the travel ball and the sports camps and all those kind of things? Yeah. I mean, we see, we see them sometimes drop out before college or drop out of their sport before high school. Um, and we, you know, we see one, muscle group or one movement being trained 365 days a year, which, you know, is not good. Um, in my opinion, number one, from the, you know, just the, your body, you know, sound mind, sound body, the Greek philosophy, being able to do a lot of different things, do them well, you know, balance and, and just having, having doing other sports. And, you know, if you just are one solid movement, um, you're going to have a, def a deficit with other types of movements. Um, so just being able to, um, you know, do multiple sports. And then the important part for a young person is the rest that's needed for their bones and tendons. And, you know, they, these 12 to 14 year olds are going through a four inch growth spurt where their, their bones are getting heavy as they grow, as they get taller. And their tendons and muscles aren't able to keep up with it. So very, very common thing we see is just overuse tendonitis. Number one thing we see is overuse tendonitis where, you know, that, that body, that age body needs healing time and needs you know, either a sport that is not as, you know, intense of jumping and running and, you know, some rest time. Um, but now we're seeing sports where there's AAU and they're doing four games a weekend for six months and uh you know they're, they're it's just 
everything has amplified and everything's gotten magnified and you know we didn't have a you growing up with me and and but it's just you know I, I hate to see the four games five games a weekend many you know months in a row where the the kids are I you I'll, I'll go to some of the basketball games and I'll see the tape around their knee you know they have that little and that's the patella tendon strap you see half the kids with these patella tendon straps who are running through patella tendonitis, which is, you know, you catch something like that early, you tell somebody you need two to three weeks off and, and they're fine. But a lot of times we see kids who come in with a year of knee pain and they've just been limping along with it. And, um, and sometimes it can be a chronic situation where they then no longer want to run or it hurts when they run. Um, so that's where a sports medicine guy, you know, has to come in or, hopefully the parents bring them to a sports medicine person or anybody and, and say, you know, all you need is maybe a month off, just stop running and jumping for a month and this will heal on its own. But, you know, and the problem is it's not an injury. It's a small, mild thing that starts, but it amplifies. And if you just keep avoiding it or not talking about it or running through it and the kids don't check in with their parents and tell them, it gets to the point where they have trouble climbing stairs, kneeling, you know, God forbid, sleeping. Like it could get to the point where it hurts to sleep. Um, so, you know, having that's part of the sports medicine philosophy, protecting the athlete when they're too young to, to do something about it themselves. I'm about to interview uh, the the director of a documentary I just saw. I'd never even heard of it. One of my other guests suggested it, and it was called The Motivation Factor. I don't know if you've heard of it. But it featured a coach back in the 50s in California who – had started an incredibly progressive PE program. I mean, he, you know, invited experts from all over the world and, and, and pulled from their ideas. And the old footage, it was, it was just the male athletes of the fifties. They weren't quite progressive when it came to sexual equality. But yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, these seniors were jacked. There's no other way to describe it. It was like a entire school full of rich fronings pretty much. Um, wow. but the focus was, um, if you create a strong PE program, you will then in turn have great baseball players, football players, whatever, but also the math and science and music kids are also going to be in much better shape. Sadly, and then it was like a multi-tier thing. You, you tested for each color of shorts. The blue was the, the highest, which was insane, like seven times up and down the pegboard and a five-mile walk with a partner on your back. And oh, wow. I mean, just uber, uber athlete stuff. But even the least fit, was very very fit um what have again what is your perspective of the PE or lack thereof on the orthopedic side that you're seeing in our children yeah i mean it's it's really you know i mean i've seen i've seen great programs i've seen programs that are using uh you know uh functional fitness you know and crossfit and high intensity interval training and, and those are those are great to see but i've seen others where the programs kind of dropped off and you got to pay to be uh you know to, you got to pay to be in a sport and you got to uh um and some of the pe things i've heard are, are not you know very pe-ish <laughs> um they're very you know like um just not like things that I would think of would be in a PE program. Um, you know, uh, 
but I, I, I think, you know, having a whole generation of children, you know, being fit, you know, certainly just helps your community. You know, if you have people who are, it, it just helps everything, like everything all around. If you can have a, a young generation up who are well and healthy and, and not, uh, you know, suffering from chronic disease in high school, um, you know, that, that can just help your community and what, what is in your, in your town, in your neighborhood, in your, in your city. Um, so I think it's a worthwhile investment. Absolutely, especially after the last couple of years. I think if it just did a video on it today, because I mean, there should have been a huge wake up call on prevention. And sadly, I think that was suppressed in the whole conversation, deliberately suppressed. Yeah, that, that's really the frustrating part is you, you talk about the numbers of people who, who could have had change before, you know, this, this happened, um, you know, and, and even during and getting the message out of if you are, you know, healthier or fitter, you know, your chances of doing better during this pandemic are, are higher. Um, but the, the message kind of got distorted and shifted. And, um, I haven't heard it as much as, you know, the numbers and the hospitalizations and the, like every day, that's all you hear about. So. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Well, with you being in CrossFit at uh, the same kind of time I was, I have witnessed you know, the initial training that I got, which was actually one of my, my friends in my fire department in Anaheim was with, um, Marina CrossFit, I think it was in Huntington Beach. Um, so he was being trained well. So he passed it on well. Then I went kind of blind on, on the main site when I moved back to Florida for a few years and then finally found myself in a CrossFit gym in this town when they opened up. And then I watched the, the kind of the, the competitive, element really start to permeate and all of a sudden the f day two people want to be doing butterfly pull-ups and that in my mind seemed to be when I saw a lot of the injuries happening and then since then like I said I think a lot of the coaching has really matured I think a lot of people have really been taught by you know the right people on barbell movements on gymnastics on you know endurance um and then recently now, we hardly ever see any injuries anymore. And rather than queuing, oh, do this with your knees, you're thinking about actually addressing muscle imbalances. So with your, you know, orthopedic sports medicine lens, what has been your, you know, just what, what have you seen in the, in the time in CrossFit since you started? Yeah, I think what you said is accurate. Um, <clears throat> you know, the, it was the place to go to get hurt. You know, that was the, the thing that everybody talked about and, I just thought it was such a great program and such a great exercise. Um, and I was like, well, you know, maybe I could be the guy to tell people to be go easy. Like, and I didn't think like I could be the guy, but like that really should be the message. Like you can go hard, but you got to go easy, you know? Um, but people were just going hard seven days a week and shooting for, and there were competitions popping up everywhere. And, uh, and, you know, the 40 and 50 year olds were coming and watching the 20 and the 30 year olds and saying, I want to do what those guys are doing. And, and so actually we have the CrossFit health conference coming up, which I give a lecture on injury prevention. Um, so it, uh, you know, I, I loved it. I thought it was a great sport back then. And I was like, maybe I could be the voice of reason in this. Um, you know, I could be the doctor around here that, doesn't tell people don't CrossFit. You're you're an idiot. You don't do high intensity interval training. Stop it. Why would you do that? 
and um, and that's sort of how my practice grew and my sort of name around competitions grew and uh, where people you know were sore or, or injured or hurt and you know they wanted to go talk to somebody to help to you know get help without feeling guilty about it. Like I remember there was a real guilt feeling. People would go to their doctor and they'd, they'd like either I they wouldn't tell them or they you know and it, and the the message would get would get you know garbled because all they did was then talk about CrossFit that now it's the doctor thought it was stupid and like instead of helping the patient and meeting the patient where they're at like you know a marathon runner you know I'm not going to tell an elite marathon runner to stop marathoning I, I'm going to tell them how they're going to get better how we're going to fix this um, so, and that's really the sports medicine philosophy that I've just held my whole life like somebody's hurt how are we going to fix it they love sports they love doing what they're doing i don't want to take that sport away from them let's see how we can get them to stay in it but yeah the evolution has gotten much easier the message has gotten much easier and i don't want to say it's a softer crossfit still crossfit but it's um not as raw or gritty as it used to be yeah yeah well i mean again like i said with the accessory work i mean i'm seeing a lot more um, time spent addressing, at least in the programming at our, our gym, yeah, addressing muscle imbalances, you know, and they'll do, you know, eyes, Y's and T's and some band warm ups and, you know, Z press and things that'll address the imbalances. So therefore you're not really having a coach position because the people are able to get in the position correctly. Yeah. Yeah. Range of motion is really important, but then there are some people who are, who have so much flexibility and are so loose that they need the stability. So. You know, there's there's the stability and mobility, and but then there's you know innate strength and improving strength. So you have you know the, the younger female athletes who are loosey goosey can be loosey goosey. Ligaments in females typically are are looser, uh, depending on the person. Um, and then you have you know some of the older people who can't get a, their arms up over their head just from tightness of their shoulders or tightness of their thoracic spine and. And, and the gains are amazing. You know, you see, some, in, you know, in Launchpad with my wife, you see people who couldn't air squat and are now overhead squatting 95 pounds. And before they couldn't even get that. You know, it's just, you see that, that, you know, people say, oh, I'll never be able to do that. And the body adapts and the thing tissues loosen and you have to work at it. And, you know, so it's, it's cool to see that. Absolutely. Well, I want to get to the tactical athlete community in a second, but before we do, with the civilians, not not with your sporting athletes, but the regular people that walk through the door, what are some of the common issues that you're seeing among society at the moment? Um, with the with the athletes, most common thing I see is tendonitis, overused tendonitis, biceps tendonitis. Um, you know, just people jumping in too soon, too much. You know, lifting too much weight. Uh, get inflamed and and they just react by causing pain and the most you know biggest treatment i do is just tell people you know let's modify let's take it easy back down don't, don't do a, you know much in the way of overhead stuff if it hurts find something to modify and give it six weeks and most likely it'll go away and so so shoulders are number one knees are not as uh, prevalent and the CrossFit world, as opposed to other sports like soccer, basketball, um, skiing, um, knees are much higher injury rate for sports as opposed to shoulders and CrossFit. Shoulders and CrossFit are, are typically uh, higher incidence of, of injuries. 
Now, with um, the tactical community, you said knees. So I've got meniscus snips on both knees now. Um, I had a back injury that actually was able to heal without any surgery, any meds or anything with uh, foundation training and some chiropractic, um, which was phenomenal. But my meniscus were both bucket. Is it bucket handle tears? I've got that right. Uh, one bucket was- handle is one of the bigger tear, yeah. Big tear in the meniscus, yeah. Did it lock? Was it locked? On yes, it? they 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 would lock, and then the second one, the right one, actually was stuck between between the tib fib and the femur. It was wedged in yep. there, so yeah, you know, I was I wasn't going to be able to get out of that with kettlebell, sadly. So um, I had some very unusual work comp experiences. So with the back injury, um, when I went to the workman's comp doc, it was the Centric Care. There was a morbidly obese PA that I was met with. Um, and, uh, actually, excuse me, the, the first time I went there was, it was another, I think it was a PA as well, but, you know, it was initial, we just heard it, you know, come back in whatever it was, X amount of days, we gotta let the inflammation come down before we can do any assessment. Like, okay, that makes perfect sense. So went back again, I was like, oh, it's been so many days now, I really want to get the ball rolling on, on PT and, and figure out a treatment plan. And he, I mean, when I use the word ordered, he ordered me to take anti-inflammatory and pain meds and refused to do anything with, with PT. So I was like, well, that's not going to fucking happen. So <laughs> I rescheduled, got a second appointment with the original guy and then got the ball rolling. But exactly. So, and ultimately never needed drugs, never needed surgery and got back and did a like a fundraiser CrossFit style competition five months later and was deadlifting 225. Um, but you know, it was a horrendous injury. It was, it was near career ending, I thought. Wow. But the wow. point being, the workman's comp experience could have sent me down surgery. And I've got sadly several firefighter friends now that just have surgery after surgery after surgery with their backs because it just started them down this spiral. And then obviously, right. there's the opiate element too. Um, so I know you do workman's comp with you know the responder profession. Yeah. Talk to me because you come from a sports medicine background. I don't think a lot of people get to see a sports medicine physician as part of their treatment group. You know, I'm here in a retirement um, part of the world, you know, Central Florida, where most of their patients are 78 years old, getting their hips, <laughs> you know, repaired. Right, right, right. So, you know, but even the PT side, it was very challenging for them to, to understand where I needed to be to get back on a fire engine. So what are you seeing with, you know, your patients and what do you do differently? And then what, if you have, what are some of the kind of dark sides of the workman's comp where you see responders sent to maybe the, the improper person? Yeah, so we have, um, so we'll work with uh, some of the case managers, and which I really like because they're great. They're actually like having your own concierge, you know, like they'll escort people to the visit. They'll coordinate the, the therapy. They'll coordinate prescriptions they'll coordinate visits um and it and it's and it's great because like it takes somebody who's getting overwhelmed by hearing about an injury and their mind somewhere else and the case manager sitting there taking all the notes and trying to you know and so some some guys will think oh they got a case manager there they're trying to screw me and it's actually there these case managers who i deal with are like they want nothing more than to get this person healthy, surgery if they need it, an MRI if they need it, therapy if they need it. Like, like they just it's they just need to get to know what to do. Like, and they'll do it. They'll they'll jump on it. So it's I I, I don't like when when guys will say, oh, well they there's a case manager and um, they're really helpful. 
uh, for just coordinating things. Um, but yeah, so I, I look at it as a, as any of these firefighters or police officers as, as, you know, these are my athletes. These are professional athletes. These guys are doing stuff every day. They need to get back to work. They're scared. They're frightened. They're worried about their career. Just like a professional athlete worried, you know, you got a knee meniscal injury, you got a rotator cuff tear your shoulder, you know, you're worried, am I going to be able to work again? Um, so getting on these people early, uh, we've even in our office had them just come to our office and skip the ER just, you know, cause you go to the ER and you get like, here's a sling, follow up with somebody in three weeks. And by that time, your shoulder's going to be, you know, rock hard, stiff cement. Like, so getting things moving, very important. Even with an injury, there are injuries that you want to keep moving. So you want to prevent the stiffness. Um, and then there are injuries that are you know, mild and nothing's going to happen and you're going to take a week off and things are going to be good. But there are injuries where you want to get the MRI. You want to see if it's torn. If it's torn, you want to fix it. And that's sort of the work comp mentality that I've sort of grown up with. And, and I've, I've, you know, I didn't come into orthopedics you know, with a worker's comp mentality, but it was, I was meeting these case managers and I was learning, you know, as I was a young doctor, like, tell me about, you know, what's a work comp injury and what's a case manager and learning about it and saying like, that's, you know, really sort of having a professional athlete mentality, like find out what it is, fix it. If it needs to be fixed, if it doesn't need to be fixed, protect them. Don't put them back in a place where they're going to make something worse. And then, uh, and then let's, you know, get to the end point. And usually that end point is, you know, non-surgical therapy and, you know, you'll be fine in three to four weeks or, you know, it depends on what the injury is, obviously, but, but it's a much more aggressive uh, sort of mentality that I like to have and that the people I work with, uh, you know, have as opposed to, you know, here's a note for being out for two months and come back in two months and let me know how it's going. Yeah, exactly. Well, well, with the other side of the coin as well, what I found was because I had surgery, I ended up when I hurt my knee. Now I had the reins in my hand driving it and I actually had a good relationship with the HR person for my last department. Um, but uh, one of our fellow athletes at the gym was an orthopedic. So I ended up going with him. Um, and, uh, he, he was fantastic, but then it's either prehab, you know, rehab, if you don't have surgery or rehab post-surgery that is also challenging. So, you know, which, which type of facilities do you send your tactical athletes to, to make sure that they are brought back up to a point where they're able to save a life, maybe on the first day and the first hour of returning? Yeah, it's, well, so everything is gradual, you know, if, if, uh, if something is surgical, you definitely got to walk somebody back up, you know, slowly. I always talk about, you know, a, a, a nice slope of uh, improvement. You know, you're not going to jump right back into things. Um, and, yeah, therapy, we're going to have therapy in our office coming up. So that's going to be, we're going to, I'm going to have, you know, eyes on that. Um, but, you know, there are therapists who I work with now, who, you know, we trust. Um, and then, uh Everything again. Everything is slowly. You want to you know, gradually work back to things, and then if some, you know, the typical therapist would would uh, would say, "Okay, you're good to go. Go back and lift, you know, 100 pounds." Or, you know, there's there's programs that are work hardening programs, work conditioning programs, where you're you're actually uh, simulating your day. You're simulating what you're expected to do, and those are great. I like those, and there's 
those those are helpful, you know, for somebody that needs uh, the extra. So say they've been out for six months or they've gotten atrophied and they've finally had surgery and then they've rehabbed and they're getting through four or five months of rehab. You know, sometimes they need a little extra to get them, uh, you know, simulating their work, simulating, you know, picking heavy objects up, you know, not just doing 10 pound barbell or banded weights and banded pull up, you know, they need to get used to 7,500 pounds moving, shifting, twisting, climbing ladders with it. Now, when I was in uh, UF in one of my ex-phys classes, I remember, I forget which, which subject it was, but obviously it was a PT-related class, but they talked about when you feel like you are 100% healed, when you initially feel that, that's actually when you're about 80% field, uh, uh, healed. Excuse me. So there's the, the potential for re-injury then. Is that something that, that you talk to your athletes to about not making sure that you have fully rehab before you return? Yeah. I would say that's, uh, I would say that's accurate. Um, as doctors, sports medicine doctors, uh, and don't tell anybody this, so I hope no one's listening, but we, <laughs> um, we restrict them more than what they, um, we are overcautious, overly cautious. Cause the last thing we want to do is go back in on a retear. So that, so we're, the timelines we give people are probably longer than, and the, and the restrictions we put in initially. Um, and again, one of the inside secrets is, you know, we'll say non-weight bearing, knowing we know that people are going to start weight bearing, but, you know, we, we sort of want to protect people. So, and, and there are times where really people do need to listen to us and most people please do listen to us. But we know that, you know, people come back and they're like, oh, yeah, I put some weight on it. I'm like, you know, it's it's sort of a uh, a psychological game. You know, people come back feeling guilty and they're like, you know, I, I did put my foot on the ground and you know, I feel bad. And, you know, so it's a, you know, um, we, we we know that life happens, but we are trying to protect people from it and protect people from themselves again. Well, you've got a site, 321GoMD, that is a huge, you know, encyclopedia of, of conditions and therapies. So what made you start that? That was when I was trying to warm up in CrossFit New England and people would come up to me with their knees and shoulders and say, what's this? What's going on? What? And I'm like, I'm trying, I got to get out of here and I can't talk to you right now. And I'm, you know, come see me in the office. Uh, I'd be happy to help you in the office, but they're like right now work out and get to work by six thirty, And I, I really can't talk to you right now, but, and I would feel bad. I'd be like, Oh, you know, I, it was just a time constraint. And I was like, well, you should write down this stuff or take, you know, have some pictures. And so I can look at it. And then when I have the appointment with you, you know, I'll be able to know what you're talking about. So, so that was it. Number one was, it was just sort of a, an idea that popped up and then the other part is i just i like the pictures having the pictures i'm a very picture person uh, oriented person and to show somebody what a labral tear looks like what a mri of a labral tear looks like what the surgery looks like what a suture anchor looks like what the repair would look like and just i think people you know are much more visual too they like to see the images and i'll scroll down as i go through each you know hamstring tear a rotator cuff tear, a, uh, you know, a, a meniscus and ACL, you know, you can go onto it and just see what, 
everything looks like from injury to surgery to MRI. So that was that's where it came from. Yeah, well, I looked through it; it was amazing. I was obviously in the knee section, <laughs> trying to find uh, you know, <laughs> meniscus yeah. information. Yeah, the, the meniscus section is great because it shows the different tear patterns that usually talk about. And people are like, what's a flap tear? What's a parabolic tear? What's a horizontal tear? So it shows all those. Well, like I said, the back injury I was able to rehab, which was incredible and also you know amazing, but. It kind of made me realize, just like our discussion with the kind of preventative element of med school, that in the surgical world, a lot of my peers were being fast-tracked to surgery. Yeah. And, you know, it's, it's, it's a hard sell to tell. I mean, even some of the ones that had surgery, I, I tried to get them to do the foundation training stuff. I know they didn't do it diligently, sadly, and they ended up just going for, for that. Oh, but it's you don't understand. It's this kind of bulge. It's, I'm like, mate, I do, you know, but that bulge is going to hurt if you're – muscles around your spine are not aligned and strengthened to take the pressure off the nerves. But um, so so in the community in general, not throwing stones, what are you seeing as far as the, the, the belief in the power of exercise to reverse or, or, you know, heal some of these injuries versus the, the kind of push for surgery that we see? Yeah, I mean, that's, um, I mean, there's all different personalities out there. Um, and yeah, I think you need to have trust in the person you're seeing, um, to know that they're going to do the right thing. Like that was one of my, uh, mentors mottos was like, if it comes down to a decision, what do you do? You do the right thing. The right thing is, you know, to avoid surgery if you need to, but if you need the surgery to do it, like pull the trigger, like, don't be afraid to pull the trigger. Um, and that's as a resident, you know, you, 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 you're faced with that every day, but you're not the one as a resident making that decision as an attending you're, you're, you just learn more and more because it's just you, you're, you're by yourself, you're in a room with a patient and you're, as opposed to a resident, so sometimes might not hear that conversation about when do you pull the trigger, uh, which is part of the teaching of residency is when do you pull the trigger? Like, when do you need to operate on something? And that's pretty rare that you need to operate on something. Uh, when you, you know, when can you or when should you operate on something becomes a gray area. And it becomes a mutual decision where, um, you know, if, if you think you can make that person better, they've tried everything else to they've tried the non-operative stuff. That's usually, you know, for most cases, that's usually you definitely want to try non-operative stuff, again, depending on the situation. Um, and that's where, you know, I, there's, everybody's got different levels of tolerance of when to pull the trigger, uh, or when to sort of urge somebody or maybe push somebody that, you know, you've done this for four months, you're not getting better. The pain is there. You're, you know, you're still weak. You're still painful. You've tried therapy. You've tried, you know, other things. Um, you know, I, I think I can make you better. I think your pain will go away. And I think you, you know, finally, you know, get through it with feeling better on the other side of things. So those, there's a gray area in orthopedics. So there's, a, there's not a lot of orthopedics that says, you know, you have to have surgery. Um, so that's in orthopedics. It's more of a, a joint decision making, which is different than what it used to be. It used to be the doctor, whatever the doctor said was you listen to. 
Um, but now, uh, you know, I look at myself as an advisor. Like I advise you to have surgery. I think it would help you, um, you know, versus not having surgery. Absolutely. Well, when I think of you know, orthopedic injuries and, and even my meniscus, one thing that excites me if it is doing what people think it's doing is the world of stem cells. Like the idea of regrowing my meniscus would be incredible. With that being said, what is it? What is your perspective of those treatments? I know they're very, very expensive. I know some of the more effective ones supposedly are out of the country. Um, you know, what is your as as a sports medicine physician your perspective? Yeah, uh, there's there's stem cells, there's PRP, um, the orthopedic in the orthopedic world, orthopedic surgery world. You know, I, I sort of will look at the American Academy of Orthopedics and what they're looking at as far as pulling together studies and seeing what the studies are like and, and also doing my own research. And this with PRP, it's been shown to look that it's more of a anti-inflammatory process injection, that things are, uh, you're giving somebody pain relief from an anti-inflammatory point of view. Um, there are these growth, growth factors that, that are in, get injected uh, that uh, can give you pain relief for arthritis or tendonitis and make things feel better. Um, my reading is that stem cells and PRP are not regrowing things. Um, things are not regrowing. I know I've heard a lot of uh, doctors out there who say things are regrowing, um, but I haven't seen that in the literature. Um, and I, again, with science, I question things and I want big studies and see things that are proof like histology studies and biopsy studies and not just an MRI that might say, Oh, this looks better. Um, you know, I want to see the histology behind things. And I haven't seen that. Right. It's interesting. Cause I've, I've heard a lot of exciting things. The, the, this podcast is five years old and there's trends even with this now. Um, and so, you know, there were some exciting things earlier on and now I'm starting to hear a little bit more of that. It's very, very expensive. It doesn't appear to have, you know, as you said, the, the full benefits that they're talking about. And obviously if it's purely anti-inflammatory, there are some much, you know, the far less invasive, um, things that we can do. One, one thing that I found works very well for me and I'd be interested to see if you have, you know, any experience on this, but. We talked about obviously the, the the danger of opiates when it comes to pain. I use CBD, and it's a, a non THC CBD, so it's safe even when I was on on shift. So I could you know take it and not piss hot, for lack of a better word. Um, what about your use of that? Is there, have you had any experience with that? Uh, I've got eighty year old grandmothers who are rubbing CBD everywhere. <laughs> Beautiful. <laughs> They, are, uh, they say it helps them. Um, and again, keeping an open mind, you know, you question things, but, you know, and they said they've tried other things and they tried the CBD and they, they like it. Um, you know, obviously it doesn't help everything or everybody, but, and, and you said like, you know, I'll say, did you try something else? Did you try that? And they go, yeah, this, I've tried it and I've gotten away from it and I've come back to it and it seems to make a difference. So. Brilliant. That's good to hear. I mean, I, I've seen it work from you know, myself, my family, even my dog. So, you know, when you look at, when you hear about the cannabinoid system and how it is, you know, inside us, and I always tell people to me, it's not a miracle drug, but when we cut open a car, we do what's called cribbing. We put pieces of wood under the car to stop it moving when we cut. That CBD to me is cribbing. 
Like if you're having problems <laughs> sleeping, it helps you initiate, you know, that sleep cycle. It's the sleep that will heal you. You know, if you have inflammation of the gut, the CBD will help. And then it's the absorption of the nutrients that ultimately will help you. So that's how I see it. But it's, it's, it's been very effective for me. Cool. Uh, uh. So with the, yeah, one, one more area I want to touch on before we do some closing questions. With the role you have in the CrossFit Games, I had Rick on and J-Mac and um, Rick was talking about the water rescue they did one time. Obviously, we've got the the great Murph, you know, event a few years ago that definitely caused some problems. So talk to me the about best, some... Best part, of, best, best part of that was what happened the next year. Yeah. So so please talk, talk to me about some of the, the notable events, you know, through a physician's eyes in the, in the Games. Mm. So number one, we have Mike Ray, the medical director. Great guy, very knowledgeable. Um, Owen Volush uh, is the head of logistics uh, and scheduling. Kelly Baker, uh, amazing. Three of the most amazing people I've worked with professionally. Just solid people. Owen's a uh, paramedic firefighter. Kelly's a paramedic firefighter. And um, Mike's an emergency room physician. Just the best, the best group to work with. Um, they've they've got this thing, you know, developed over the years to a, a well-oiled machine. Um, the team is made up of doctors, nurses, paramedics, EMTs. Um, uh, I don't think anybody else in there. We we brought an X-ray machine, X-ray unit there. When, I don't know, when we had some issues, we would send people to urgent care. And I asked, we were at the StubHub Center, and I asked the Galaxy, the LA Galaxy soccer team trainer, I said, where do you guys go for x-rays? Do you have an x-ray machine here? And they said, well, we send them to urgent care. I said, Beckham is going to the urgent care to get an x-ray of his ankle? <laughs> and he said, yes. I said, okay. So I talked to General Electric and said if we could do a – do a deal and uh, and they came in and, and we were able to bring in a fluoro unit, large fluoro unit x-ray. So that was one of the benefits with Brooke Wells is that I could be sure that she didn't have a fracture and I was not pulling out a fracture instead of uh, that it was a dislocation. Um, so it was very helpful. I've, I've popped other things back into uh, wrists and ankles using the x-ray and having the x-ray available is, is really very helpful. Um, but, um, you know, so having Owen and Kelly, uh, you know, on the team and, and Mike looking at, uh, they're always analyzing. We're always saying, how can we make this better? How can we do better? You know, we've, we've seen some issues and, you know, the goal of anything, you know, is how can you become better at this? And so the Murph event was one event. And then the next year's Murph was uh, done in the morning. Uh, big, huge, big ass fans blowing plenty of water. Um, and, and it was night and day. <laughs> it was just, it was just, you know, I, I think it was just like this big boost of confidence for, for everybody that we, you know, we saw things and we, and we made changes. And I think in any organization, um, you know, going to be perfect all the time, but if you can make changes that make you better, then that's, uh, you know, very helpful. And J Mac too. J Mac was critical with all those and, and Justin Berg and, and everybody. Brilliant. Now, what, what, who was it? Uh, I'm thinking Judy Fashay, but I might have the name wrong. Someone damaged their ankle or Achilles and then they end up continuing. And I remember this, that kind of iconic 
picture of them handstand walking with the boot on yeah. one. Yeah, that was Julie. It that was, was Julie um, from box jumps, re- rebounding box jumps. And then she was in a boot and then did handstand walks. Yeah. Yeah. Because she became a physician, didn't she? She is. She is. She is. Um, and she's very involved with CrossFit Health now. And uh, yeah, so it's, it's, it's good to work with Julie. She's a great, great person. Beautiful. All right. Well, I'd love to transition some closing questions so I can let you go. The first one I love to ask, is there a book or are there books that you love to recommend? It can be related to our discussion today or completely unrelated. Um, so recently I got into Breathe uh, with James Nestor um, and did the mouth taping myself because I, I have a tendency to snore and I've had some of the best sleeps with just this little tiny little piece of tape, you know, doesn't that, you don't have to use duct tape and you don't have to cover up the whole thing, but just this little tiny piece of tape. And I found that I don't snore when I, when I use that. So that's, you know, just from, from my life, that's been sort of game changing. Um, uh, that book is, is great. Um, I'm, I'm always into like good, uh, you know, police things or, uh, you know, uh, Tom Clancy type stuff, um, stuff like that, those kind of spy novel books. Um, but I, fin- I just finished a uh, James Connolly book, um, Cajun, Cajun Revenge, I think it was. Uh, ben Coase is a good, good author. I like Baldacci, I like uh, Grisham, uh, those guys. Yeah. But I, but I, usually, I usually don't do a lot of reading with uh, sort of philosophy stuff. I just sort of use it as a relaxation kind of thing. Well, if you're ever in Orlando, I I do a stunt show. It's my my kind of side gig, and there's a Jason Bourne stunt show here in Universal Studios. So that might be a good one to watch. That's what you do? (laughs) Yeah. I mean, I I transitioned out of the fire service, but the whole time I was a fireman, I was also doing stunts. So this is like the latest gig that I'm doing, but it's uh, brand new technology. You feel like you're in a movie. Um, and it combines like live action with, with the screen. Um, you know, it's whole, it's moving. So you're totally kind of tricked into even if your chair is moving or if it's everything else. But yeah, I oh, highly wow. recommend it. If you like those kind of movies or those books, oh, you, you'd probably love that ride. Love that. Brilliant. All right. Well, the next question, is there a, a movie and or documentary that you love? Uh, well, I mean, Rocky's my favorite. Um, <laughs> you know, and that was growing up, but uh, um, some of the uh, well, I was thinking podcasts was uh, Thirteen Minutes to the Moon was a uh, I love that podcast. Um, the Doctor Death podcast was just fascinating. Um, Michael Lewis uh, also is. Uh, what is the, something about the coach, uh, coaches or against the rules? Mike, that was pretty good. Um, I've been sort of listening on the way to work, uh, listening to some Malcolm Gladwell podcasts too. But I just, um, I like to just gain knowledge through other people's experiences and just sort of hearing different things. And uh, but yeah, the 13 minutes of the moon was amazing. It was about the Apollo project and the 13 minutes from the lunar module going down to the moon and it just looked through the whole background of the Apollo. And I was just sort of fascinated by it, that the average age of the engineers who were making those decisions were 26. Really? 
And there was one guy from Indiana who made the call to land on the moon. And he was 26 years old because there was an alarm going off. And they were like, what's that alarm? And this was the guy who like, who knew what that alarm was. <laughs> so the, the program was based on this guy's recommendation to go for it despite the alarm. Wow. Oh my goodness. Yeah. Crazy. Yeah. It's funny because yeah. yeah. you know, I talk about this a lot. We, we have the tendency to look down on, on the elderly and you totally disregard the incredible things that they did, you know, when they were younger during their working time. But then the same, you know, this kind of like anti-millennial kind of rhetoric that you hear, but you look, I mean, you know, what makes up most of our military, for example, young men and women about that age that are making life and death decisions all over the world. Sure. Well, all right. Well, the next yeah. question, is there a person that you recommend to come on this podcast as a guest to speak to the first responders, military and associated professions of the world? Yeah, I would say Owen uh, Belush. Um, he's the guy that in behind scheduling and logistics for the CrossFit Games. And he, he's a paramedic firefighter. And uh, he's, he's uh, going through some interesting times in his life right now that uh, he had actually said he wanted to share. Um, and, I, and he's put it out there. So he, he was just diagnosed with uh, lymphoma. Oh. Um, so, but he, I, I think, like anything Owen does, I think he uh, is sort of seeing how he could help others. Um, so I think that would be cool if you talk to him because he, he wants to put it out there to people like not to ignore stuff. You know, don't, uh, you know, get things taken care of if you need to. Um, yeah. Absolutely. Well, let's make that happen as soon as we can then. Because, I mean, this the reason why this whole podcast was started was because of things like that, you know, losing friends in the fire service. And sadly, as we touched on earlier, the shifts are, you know, terminally affecting many, many of our men and women. So it needs to be talked about. Um, so I would, I would be honored to get him on the show. Cool. Right, thank you. I think he'd love it. And, uh, you know, again, he's, he's a helper and uh, to be able to help others. Absolutely. Well, I mean, I'm heartbroken to hear that because it's, it happens so often. It really does. All right. Well, well it's good news. It's, uh, it's, you know, good, you know, it's talking to great doctors and, uh, you know, he's, he's got a good prognosis. So that's the good part. Good, good. Excellent. All right. Well, then the very last question before we make sure everyone knows where to find you and the website, what do you do to decompress? <laughs> um. So breathing has been one, you know, after reading that book, that's been a, a new thing. Exercise, certainly another. Uh, and my wife and I are into succession right now on podcasts. So I, I just like to come and chill. And after dinner, we'll watch movies together and uh, and hang out. Um, and then obviously go see my kids' sports. And I got a kid who's wrestling in college and kid who's playing basketball in college and see my daughter. My daughter just started a singing singing uh interest and so she just got her solo and she's going to be in a play and so same uh, same sort of attitude where family's kind of everything you know as my mom so brilliant well with your children having two physicians as parents are any of them going to follow in your footsteps we'll see we'll see as you know my parents you know they said 
you only only do this if you want to do this. This is not for us. This is your life, and uh, you are the one who's going to be happy. And do not do this just if you think this is going to make us happy. You know, same same thing with the kiddos. You know, they they uh, they're different, and each of them is different. And they, despite coming from the same genes, they're they're all different. So beautiful. All right. Well then. People listening, where can they find 321GoMD? And then are there any other places online or on social media they can reach out to you? Sure. Um, so, number one, we got the CrossFit Health Conference coming up on, and I don't know when this is going to be broadcast, but that's going to be on. Actually, no, you can get it after the fact, too. So, I got a lecture on uh, it's the CrossFit Health 2022 conference, and that's going to be in uh, end of January. Um, and then um, 321GoMD.com is the website. It's free to go on and peruse and look at. Um, and then I've had, you know, people in the New England area come to see me just because it's you know, local, but I'm at Orthopedics New England and uh, outside Boston. Uh, but I have had people travel uh, from around the country to come see me. So I'm happy to uh, you know, see people in consultation as well. So Orthopedics New England, Sean Rocket, two T's. <laughs> Brilliant. And on uh, Instagram? Uh, it's three, two, one, go MD. Yeah. And where is the conference being held this year? Oh, it's virtual. It's oh. virtual. Ah, okay, so, gotcha. Yeah, so, the, so it's online and you just go to the website and sign up. Actually, you can use a discount code, Sean15, <laughs> S-E-A-N, uh, 15, one, five. Uh, and you get it. I don't know what they, I don't even know what they're, why they gave me a discount code, but they told me to tell, tell all my friends, <laughs> both of them. Or <laughs> <laughs> well, mine were killed in the horrible skateboarding accident. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, thank you so much. It has been such an incredible conversation. Are you uh, serious? No, I was joking. No, I have more than one, luckily, I think. Um, so it's, it has been an amazing conversation, though, between, you know, your perspective in the actual medical community, obviously the CrossFit community, and then working with, you know, my men and women in our communities that need you i mean if we're gonna get back especially when you know so many times they kind of buy into the element that it could be career engine what it might not be it might be physical therapy it might be you know movement practice or it might be surgery but that we can get back to where we need to be so thank you so much for being so generous with your time today happy to help thank you